author and pastor, Dr. O.S. Hawkins, is currently the president and CEO of Guidestone Financial Resources, an organization that serves more than 250,000 pastors, missionaries, and church staff members, and runs the world's largest Christian-based mutual fund. Dr. Hawkins is a frequent speaker at conferences and churches across the nation and has written more than 30 books. Please join us in welcoming Dr. O.S. Hawkins to SBC. Uh, thank you for the privilege of being back today at Scottsdale. You know, I, got to, I have the wonderful opportunity to preach in churches all over America almost every Sunday. And, but there's really no place I like coming any more than here to Scottsdale. Now, I have to admit, I like coming in the winter a little bit more than I do in the dead of summer. So I don't know how I got the short end of this deal this year. But I'm just thrilled to get to be here because I, I love Jamie and appreciate his integrity and love the ministry of this church. You know, I can look back over my life to some two or three services I was in like this one. And I look back upon them and they became defining moments in my life where I heard biblical truth, put a handle on it and applied it to my life that really made a difference in the whole direction of my life. And I believe this is a morning that could be like that for somebody here today, maybe many of you, that sometime in years past, you look back on this service and say, God spoke to me at a very point of my need. It became really a defining moment in my life because there's some tremendous biblical truth we're going to see today. And so let's open our Bibles to Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and we're going to begin reading in verse 13. 2 Corinthians 10, 13, Paul says, but we will not boast beyond limits, but we'll boast only with regard to the area now, I want you to look at this phrase. To the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even to you. Did you know that God, now think about this, has assigned an area of influence to you? There's something for you to do no one else can do. There's someone to reach an influence that no one else can reach because God has assigned to you an area of influence. He goes on, for we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you, for we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. We do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others, but our hope is that as your faith increases, here it comes again, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of the work already done in another's, there it is again, area of influence. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord, for it is the one who commends himself who is approved, not, but the, not the one who doesn't commend himself, but the one whom the Lord commends. So I want us to think about that phrase today, that God has assigned to each of us this area of influence. Have you noticed in our English-speaking world today, especially in the Western world, that we can't communicate with each other unless we do it in acronyms. If you took away all the acronyms that we use every day, we wouldn't even be able to communicate. For example, I've, I've met a lot of young people today headed to college. Well, you can't even get to college to start working on a BA unless you have a good GPA and unless you score well on the SAT, you'll never get a BA, much less be able to work on an MA. 
Uh, I'm CEO at Guidestone. We have a COO with an MBA, a CFO with a CPA, and a CIO with a CFP. Uh, We just live by these acronyms that are all around us. I met somebody in the earlier service, played in the NFL. I just was talking to Ryan Gentry, whose dad coaches in the NBA. Now, I'm not NBA or NFL as much as I like baseball because I'm into ERAs and RBIs. Uh, We're being guarded right now by the CIA and the FBI, which has its own problems. And April 15th, guess what? The IRS is going to come knocking on your door. I'm here today cancer-free for nine years because of a test called a PSA. And I go in every year and have a physical exam, and I get an EKG. Uh, I use the ESV because for me, the NIV is too eclectic a translation. Over at Guidestone, we're in a wellness program, so I better not find any of our people going into a KFC. It's okay to have a BLT every once in a while. And even in social ministry, we can't communicate without acronyms, LOL. But I don't believe there's ever been an acronym that has muscled and maneuvered its way into our English vernacular like that one VIP, very important person. That's the life goal of a lot of people, to become a VIP, a a very important person. It, It started a long time ago. In fact, it began way back before time began. Back, way back in the eternal counsels of God, Isaiah tells us about it, there was an angel of light named Lucifer. Some believe he was in charge of all the worship around the throne of heaven. And Lucifer was the first one to be overcome by this VIP syndrome. Remember what Lucifer said? I want to be like the most high. I want to be important. I want people to bow down to me. I want, and, there was, and he was kicked out of heaven with a third of those angels. It continued in the garden with our first parents, Adam and Eve. They were given dominion over everything, but that wasn't good enough. Because there was a tree of knowledge of good and evil in the midst of the garden. And they saw that it was a delight to the eyes and desired to make one wise. And that old VIP syndrome captured them. It started with us real early. You know when? Back then when you took your first steps. There was the family gathered all around. You'd been crawling on your hands and knees for weeks and weeks. And then you stood up and you took your first step. And remember what happened? You liked being the center of attention. Hey, you liked all that applause and all those pats on the back that you got. And so many of us have grown up with this struggle about this VIP syndrome about us. But I, I want to tell you what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to change that acronym Because in God's economy, it is never meant to be a very important person. What I'm changing that VIP to mean is a very influential person. Because you know what? We have a way of forgetting those people that we've known that deem themselves to be important. But we've got a long memory when it comes to those who've influenced our lives. We look back over our life, we see a coach, we see a teacher, we see a mom or dad, a friend, somebody that poured themselves in, that influenced our lives. We've got a long memory about that. Now, isn't that what we ought to be about? Influence? A lot of your parents here today, don't you want to influence your child? You better. The world's trying to influence them every day. 
We want to be about the business of, of influence, don't we? In our home, I want to influence my wife. I want her to influence me for good. I want her to bring the best out of me. I want to be a person of influence. In this area of influence, God has assigned to me. I think you do too. Some of you live in retirement communities. You're in contact every day with people that are just a short time away from eternity. Don't you want to be an influence for them? I think VIP should never have stood for a very important person. I think God intends it to be a very influential person. You know where that word influence comes from? It comes from two words, in and flow. It comes from Latin. And the word pictures is this mighty river that's flowing deep and, and, and crystal clear with a vibrant current and it's just flowing. And into that river flow these little creeks and little streams and little tributaries and they flow into that mighty river and they're carried away in its flow. That's where we get the word influence. It means that you and I live our lives in such a deep manner and fashion that people come into contact with us and they get carried away in our flow. Now, when those Corinthians in Corinth, those Greeks, got this letter from Paul and read it, when they came to this phrase where he talks about this area of influence that is assigned to us, they would have seen a Greek word because he wrote them in the common language of the day, Koine Greek. They would have seen a Greek word here they would immediately have identified with because they were very familiar with those Grecian Olympic games. It, it's, it's a word that describes a lane on a track. Now, our youngest daughter, Holly, ran track in high school, and she was fortunate enough to run on, a, on a, the state 4x100 relay team that won the, the championship in high school. I sat out there in that hot Fort Lauderdale heat, not like yours. This is humid heat. For hours at track meets, waiting for a race that lasted less than 50 seconds over and over and over and over. And you know, if you ever ran track, that track is out there and there are lanes drawn around the track, 400 meter track. You run the 200 or the 400 meter, whatever it is, you are assigned one of those lanes to run in. And what happens if you get out of that lane? You're disqualified. Because you can't run in somebody else's lane. You are assigned that lane, and that is the lane in which you're to run. And that's the very Greek word Paul used when he said, God has assigned an area of influence to you. Think about that. Somewhere, there's somebody to influence that no one can influence like you can. Somewhere, there's something to do that no one can do quite like you can because nobody has a thumbprint like you. No one has a DNA like you. You're an individual, indescribably valuable to God. And get this, he has assigned an area of influence to you. And that's where you're supposed to run your life and your race, to be an influence. Now think about that. What is it that goes into people? Think about people who've influenced you. I'll tell you three things about a person of influence. The first thing is this. A person of influence knows where they're going. We're not influenced by people who have no direction or no vision and don't know anything about where they're going. We're influenced by people who know where they're going in life. Secondly, we're influenced by people who know who they are. You know, a lot of people don't know who they are. They're trying to be somebody else. 
And they never influence anyone. But you find somebody who knows who they are, especially in Christ, you'll find an influencer. Influencers know where they're going. They know who they are, and they know why they're here. They're moved and motivated by an inner purpose that drives them and helps them overcome all kinds of obstacles. And those are the people of influence. So I want us to look at that from this passage today about this area of influence God has assigned to you so that you can walk out of this place being a person of influence so that others are getting caught up in your flow for God's glory. So I want us to think about that. A VIP, a very influential person. What's the first step in being a person of influence? V, I say V is for vision. Because people who influence other people are people who know where they're going. They're people of vision. They know where they're going. They don't have to get to an intersection and wonder, well, which way am I going to turn? Well, they already know where they're going to turn before they get to an intersection of life because they're people of vision. They know where they're going. Now, when you have a vision for your life, you know what it'll do? It will, it'll, bring, uh, it'll bring several things into your life. First of all, it'll bring definition. It defines you. You know where you're going? It brings definition to life. You know, if, you want, if you're seeking to be an influence in your home, if you know where you're going with that home, if you know how you're going to lead it and what your vision is for it, it'll define what you're doing inside those four walls. Second thing it'll do, it'll bring direction. If you've got a vision and you know where you're going, like I said a moment ago, you don't have to get to one of the intersections of life or temptation's corner and start wringing your hands and say, which way am I going to turn? You've already known. You already decided. If you know where you're going, which way you're going to turn when you get to the intersection. It brings definition. It brings uh, direction. I'll tell you another thing it does. It brings dynamic to your life. It energizes you. When you're a person of vision, it brings a new dynamic. When you have a vision for your company and where you're trying to influence those people and how you're trying to lead those people, it'll bring a new dynamic to what you're doing in in your business, on your athletic team, wherever it is. And a fourth thing it'll do, it'll bring a new dependence because you ought to have a vision, like Paul said, to greatly enlarge your vision. He's talking about his, his area of influence. He didn't want just to have that influence. Paul prayed that his, his area of influence might be greatly enlarged. He was a visionary. That's what, I, that's what I pray. That's what I want. I want, I, want his, I want to influence many people as I can for good and for God. And it brings a new dependence on, to, trust and to trust in God. You know, the wisest man ever lives purported to be King Solomon. And he said in Proverbs chapter 29, 18, where there's no vision, where there's no spirit of conquest, where there's no direction, where you don't know where you're going, where there's no vision, the people what? Perish. That Hebrew word is also translated in the book of Exodus as go back. The children of Israel came out of Egypt. They got in the wilderness wanderings. They were just wandering around, no direction. And they said, we want to go back to Egypt. It's also translated of a, of a guy in the Old Testament that says he was unkept. His hair was matted and he was dis, disheveled, disheveled. He, he just, when you have no vision, you, have, you just wander in a wilderness and, and you don't go forward. You know, one, one, in that bumper, there was a picture of me. I, I didn't know y'all had it, but it was a picture of me uh, speaking at the commencement at Liberty University a year or so ago. I had not been on the campus of Liberty since my good friend Jerry Falwell died eight or nine years ago. And Jerry Jr., before the commencement service, was welcoming Susie and my wife and I around the campus. I couldn't believe it what had happened in the last eight years in that campus. They've got 20 and 22-story dorms there that look like 
beautiful hotels. They, they've got a medical school up on the hill, a law school in the valley. They've got a library that's robotic. I've never seen anything like it. A kid has an app on his phone. He wants a book. He just puts it on the, on the app. By the time he gets to the library, the robot's gone down there. I'll pick the book up and it's sitting at the front desk for him to pick up. It's the most high-tech school I've ever seen. It's all, and so I'm walking across the campus and the thought came to me, I wish Jerry Falwell could see Liberty University today. And before I said it, it dawned on me. He did see it, and that's why it's there today. He started it back in the 70s in two or three rooms of the education building of his church. And then he went all over the country talking about a, an evangelical university that was going to be to evangelical Christians, what Brigham Young was to Mormons and what uh, Notre Dame is to Catholics. He saw it when it was nothing. And it's there today because he was a great influencer because he was a person of vision. He knew where he was going. Vision is vital. An artist, before he or she goes to that canvas to paint, has a vision of what that painting is going to look like in their mind. They know where they're going before they put the first brush of the paint on it. A, a, a coach has a game plan before the game. He, he knows what he's going to run on first down, second down, third down, in this situation, that situation, in the red zone. They've got a game plan before they ever get on the field. An army commander has a battle plan of how they're going to attack the enemy before they ever get out there. Vision is vital. And you'll never be a person of influence unless you know where you're going, unless you're a person of vision. But I don't want to just talk to you about the fact that we all need to be people of vision. I want to tell you how to, how to get a vision. How can you get your personal vision? Do you know that it's as easy as the birth of a baby? Well, that's not real easy, I guess. It's easy for me to say. But a vision is just as easy as birthing a baby. Same stages. You want a vision of what God wants you to be in your home, at the business, at your office, in your life, so you can be a person of influence? Here's the first stage. Where does birth begin? Conception. The seed of a man and the egg of a woman come together. Now think about it. In that tiny, unseen speck of protoplasm are all the intricacies of a nervous system and a respiratory system and a circulatory system and a digestive system, all of that there. Conception. That's the way it begins in a vision. When the seed of God for what he wants you to be, not who you are, but what he wants you to be, is planted in your heart, in the secret place, alone with God. And he puts his that seed in your heart and in your mind, not of what you are now, but what you could be. Remember when he first saw Simon Peter? Do you remember what he said? He said, you are Petros, but you shall be called Petra. In other words, you are a little bitty pebble, but you shall be a great rock. He saw him not for who he was right then, but for the potential of who he could be if he became a person of vision. God looks at us today, and he doesn't see us for what we are right now. He sees you for what you could be. The potential is here. Remember that little boy with the loaves and fishes? A little sack lunch that Jesus took and multiplied to the multitudes? That little boy left home that day with the potential, think about this, to feed thousands of people and he didn't even know it. Some of you have come into this room today with the potential to be incredible influencers. But you don't even know it. You haven't even realized till this morning that God has assigned an area of influence to you. So the first stage is conception. Get along with God. Ask him to 
where do you want me to go, Lord? What do you want me to do? He said in Psalm 16, 11, I'll make known to you the path of life. In my presence is fullness of joy. Second stage, gestation. Susie and I have two daughters. I remember when our first daughter was conceived and it was weeks and weeks and weeks before you could see anything. And then she started showing and it became obvious that something was growing in her. Do you know why some people get a vision of what God wants them to do? And it, it just flounders. It never goes anywhere because it's still born because they don't gestate it. You got to live with that. God puts something in your heart. You meditate on it. You don't just go out and announce it. You think about it. You pray about it. You live with it. You meditate on it. And it won't be long till somebody will see something's growing in you and you don't even have to say it. Gestation is vital to vision. It's vital to the birth of a child, and it's vital to a vision. Then comes the third stage, birth. The baby's born, it's out. We hand out the cigars or whatever we do, and we have a celebration, and it's out. And that's the way it is with the vision. We, we announce it, what our vision is for our family, our business. Right? We put it out. Then comes the next stage, the fourth stage. It's the most important stage of all, and it's one of the most beautiful words in the English language. It's a secret. Adoption. In childbirth, that's, that's when a couple who've not conceived or, or gestated or birthed that child take that child into their home. It takes their name. By all legal rights, it's theirs, and they adopt it. That's what happens in a vision. When that vision that's been conceived from God in your heart, gestated in your life, birthed and out there, begins to be adopted by others in your family, in your business, at your, where, at, wherever it may be in your church. And others adopt it like it's their own. You know how to get people to adopt your vision? It's, it's, it's as easy as ABC. A, is it achievable? B, is it believable? C, is it conceivable? Listen, a vision to get other people to adopt it, it's got to be conceivable. They got to be able to conceive it. You go out here with some wild, way out thought, and people can't conceive it, they're never going to adopt it. If they can't believe it, they can't believe it, they can't buy into it. And, and if you can't ever achieve it, it's not going to be there. But, but adoption is the secret. Then comes the next stage growth. Ever, ever raised a kid? When they're growing, you know what it does? It costs money. It costs time. It costs energy. It costs everything. They're growing out of shoes. They need new basketball shoes. They grow out of jeans. They need fees to go to this camp. They need fees for this or that. They need this, that. It costs a lot of money, and it costs a lot of time. It costs sitting out there at track meets and swim meets and all those things. It costs energy growth. And when your vision is growing, it's going to cost you. You really want to see a vision mature, it's, you're going to have to spend time with it. It's going to grow. It's going to cost you. And then comes the next stage, maturity. When everything you've dreamed about and planned about and prayed about for that child comes to maturity for me, it was when I walked those girls down a, 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 an aisle in a church like this at, at their wedding. And I remember one of them, I was walking down and I saw that guy down there and I thought, I'm about to put a Stradivarius in the hand of a gorilla. Uh, and, uh, but you got to do it. 
when you put it in the hand of the guy that won their heart. And, and, and maturity, you know, that's a dangerous stage in the life of vision. I know a lot of churches that had vision and they grew and they did, and the, everything they dreamed about, they were, and then they just quit growing. They're, they're all over every city like that because they never dreamed again. So there's one other important stage, and that's reproduction. When what you grew reproduces itself into other vision, my six grandchildren. And that's the way it is with vision. Vision is vital. People do not give themselves to needs. You go to your business and you gather your people together and say, we need to do this, we need to do that, we need to do this. Get in a church, we need this, we need to pay off that, we need to do... People don't give themselves to needs. They give themselves to visions. When they see a spirit of conquest, when they see something that's bigger than them, when they see that their leader knows where he's going or where she's going, they can buy into that, and they do. So if you want to be a person of influence in your area of influence, God has assigned you, be a person of vision. What's the I for, the IP? The I, I say, is integrity. Somebody else says, no, I don't think it ought to be integrity. I think it ought to be intellect because knowledge is power. And I can influence others if I know more than they do. Somebody else says, no, it's intensity. This spirit of conquest, this passion, this intensity you have about what you're doing, this ability to cast vision and, and to sway people and to be persuasive with them, this intense personality. You know what? I've been around this track a lot of decades in, in life now. I've seen a lot of people with great intellect, but you know what? They had little integrity and they're not influencing anybody anymore. I've known others with unbelievable intensity, especially in my profession of preaching. Could preach the stars down, but it, it ended up with they didn't have any integrity, and God put them on the shelf. And they could be influencing thousands, but they're influencing nobody because integrity is your greatest asset in being an influencer. That's why some people don't influence their kids they need to have integrity. They need to know who they are in Christ. So let me ask you this. How do you get integrity? It's one thing to say, have integrity, but like vision, I want to tell you how you can get it. You know how you get integrity? I'll tell you where you get it. You live in four worlds. You say, what? I, no, I don't. I just live here in Scottsdale. No, you live in four worlds. Some of you don't know that. First of all, you have a private world. You know who comes into your private world? Nobody. Not your husband, not even your wife. Know all those private thoughts. Aren't we glad? Know all those private thoughts we have. Because nobody lives in your private world. Only you. Oh, and God, who knows your anxious thoughts and searches your heart and knows all your private thoughts. So you live in a private world. Secondly, you live in a personal world. That's in the close dynamic of these interpersonal relationships where people know you like you really are in your personal world, your husband, your wife, your kids, your mom, dad. And if you're fortunate in life, maybe one or two other people that know you like you really are. Your personal world. Many of us have that dynamic of that personal world. Third, you live in a professional world. Now, in the professional world, there are people that don't know you personally in the close interdynamic relationships. They don't much less privately, but they know you professionally. They deal with you. You sell them insurance. You, you do this, you do that. They see you in a professional world. And, and, and there, some of us know dozens of people. Some of us know scores, hundreds. Somebody may know thousands of people in the professional setting. And then you have one other world, 
a private world, a personal world, a professional world, and a public world. And that's the world in which you live, and maybe nobody knows you even professionally, but yet they hear your name, and somehow they formed an opinion about you one way or another, down the street or at the office or somewhere. So that bodes the question, where is integrity rooted? And some people seem to think that integrity is rooted in that public world. So they do everything they can to spin their public image and brand themselves so that they'll look like they're somebody they're not out there in public, but it's not rooted there. It's only revealed there. And ultimately, whether you have integrity or not will be revealed there in the public world. So you say, well, it must be there in the professional world where on the anvil of personal experience, you beat out those principles. No, it's not rooted there. It's only reinforced there if you have it. So one says, well, it must be in that personal world, those close inner dynamic. No, it's not rooted there. It's only reflected there. If you want to know if I have it, ask my wife, Susie. Your integrity is rooted in your hidden life, that private world, alone with God, where you begin to know who you really are in Christ. Like Paul said, Christ in me, the hope of the Lord. And you come to the realization that Christ is really alive in you. And you root your integrity in the person of Christ in you. And then you know what will happen? As natural as water running downhill, it'll be re re reflected in your personal life. It'll be reinforced in your professional life without you even have to think about it. And ultimately, it'll be revealed for God's glory. You ever heard a contractor or a builder or an architect look at a big, tall skyscraper and use this phrase, say, see that building? That building has structural integrity. You ever heard that phrase? What do they mean? They mean that big 40-story building, glass and steel, glistening in the sun, has a hidden life, has structural integrity. Down deep in the ground, those pilings go way down into the bedrock. Thousands of tons of concrete and steel down there, unseen to the, hidden, to the eye, the hidden life of that building. And that beautiful 40-story building stands there and in, in all of its glory because of what you can't see. It has structural integrity. It has a hidden life. Those who influence others are not just people who know where they're going, but they know who they are, and they know that because they've got a hidden life alone with God. And there's one other word I want to share. If you're going to be a person of influence, you can't just know where, you are, where you're going, who you are. You have to know why you're here. brings us to the P in VIP. And the P is for purpose. Because you see, people who, who influence others are people who don't get off track. They're moved and motivated by this inner purpose in life. And that's what moves them. And that's what motivates them. And that's what drives them, this purpose in life to be what God is intended to be. Nobody has a DNA or a thumbprint like you because God has assigned this area of influence to you. Somewhere there's somebody to be influenced that no one can like you because that's your area of influence. Somewhere there's something for you to do in his kingdom that no one can do like you can do. Awaken to that because he's assigned this lane for you to run in. Purpose. When our daughters went to college and went to TCU, we were living in Fort Lauderdale at the time where I was pastor of First Baptist Church, we brought our youngest daughter, Holly, to TCU as a freshman. She moved in the freshman dorm. Susie and I were there getting her all set up, and Susie and they were doing something. And she gave me one task. She had a box there, and she 
she said, open that box and put that together. Well, it was a little pedestal table. It had a little top on it, a little round like that stool. And then it just had one pedestal that went on it, had four screws you put around the bottom of it. I mean, how difficult can that be? I didn't need to look at the instructions or anything to do that. I, I'm, I, I can do that. I don't have to ask directions for anybody. You know, I'm, I'm a guy. So I got it, saw those screws. Those little screws had the cross in them, Phillips screws. So I just got a kitchen knife out of the, ta- out of the kitchen in there. I went in there. About, after about three, four, five minutes, that, that knife bent all over the end. My knuckles were bleeding where it slipped off. She walks by, my wife, and she looks at me, and she didn't say anything. Uh, but her, her, la- her body language told me she said, here, stupid. And she tossed me a Phillips screwdriver out of the, her little toolbox. I put that Phillips screwdriver into that screw. It felt so good, and it tightened, and I tightened it, and it felt so good, and I tightened it, tightened them. Man, I was feeling so good about myself, and I was getting the job done. It felt so good. Why? It was doing what it was designed to do, what it was purposed to do. God has a purpose for you, and life is going to feel so right when you're doing that. You know, the greatest epitaph ever written was what? what uh, Paul said in the Pisidian Antioch sermon, and I'll wind down now. In Acts 13 about King David, he said in verse 36, David served God's purpose in his own generation and fell asleep. What better could be said about you that you ran your life in that lane God had assigned? You were a person of influence. You served God's purpose in your generation and fell asleep. VIP. I like to play golf. I see Ken Miller over here. Ken and I played a lot of golf together. You know what holes I like best on the golf course or the par threes? You know why? It only takes one good shot to make par on a par three. When you think about it, you can get up on the tee and you can get that ball on the tee and you can just top it and dribble it off three or four feet off the tee. And then you can get up there and hit a second shot right up there against the pin two feet away from it and just have a little tap in for a par. Or you could hook that ball off the tee or slice it over there in the trees, get over there in the trees and barely knock it out and barely get it on the green and then make a 40-foot winding putt that falls right in the hole. It only takes one good shot on a par three to make par. But I want to tell you something. If you're going to be a person of influence, that's not true. It takes all three. You can be a person of vision, know where you're going, but if you don't have integrity, you're not going to influence anyone in the home, at the office, or anywhere. You can be a person of impeccable integrity, but if you don't have vision, if you don't know where you're going, you're not going to influence anyone. You can be a person that's moved by an inner purpose, but if you still don't know where you're going and don't have integrity, it takes all three to be a very influential person. Be a person of vision, influence, Purpose, And let me just close by reminding you that the greatest influencer in, in all of history, encased in human flesh, was the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about it. Here we are, 2,000 years later, 9,000 miles away, singing about him here in Scottsdale, and we're doing it in Dallas. We're doing it in every country in the world today. Had the greatest influence and has the greatest influence everybody ever lived. Why? What made him such a person of influence? Vision. He took a bunch of rough, callous-handed, quasi-literate fishermen 
on the northern shore of Galilee that had never been 10 miles away from their houses and challenged them not to go down and reach a few locals in Tiberias or Capernaum. But what did he say? Go into the whole world and preach the gospel to every creature. Talk about a visionary. And they did it. And they took the gospel all the way through the Roman, through the Roman world in one generation. He was a visionary. Integrity. He preached the world's greatest sermons and unlike all the rest of us, practiced every syllable he preached impeccably. Purpose. Up at Sychar, remember what he said, my meat, the thing that sustains me is to do the will of him who sent me. Purpose. And that night before the crucifixion under those olive trees in Gethsemane's garden, hearing, not my will, Lord, but thine be done. You want to be a person of influence? God has assigned you a lane of influence. Know where you're going. Know who you are. Know why you're here. And you know what will happen? Others will get caught up in your flow. And before I pray, let me just remind you, some of you are here this morning, you don't know where you're going. You have no direction in life. Just kind of wandering through life. You don't know where you're going. The Bible, God said, I will make known to you the path of life. In my presence is fullness of joy. At my right hand are pleasures forevermore. Some of you don't know who you are. You got a void in life and you've tried to place it, fill it with everything else. You got that new car. and You know what? Six weeks later, that new car smell was gone. Or you thought you could fill that void with that particular person, but it did you know what? The something you think you need is someone. His name is Jesus. You'll never know who you are till you come to find your life in Christ. And some of you don't know why you're here. You're here because God wants to lead you in the great adventure for which he created you in the first place. To know him, whom to know is life and life eternal. Let's bow together and pray. Father, we love you today. We thank you and praise you that you've assigned to every one of us a lane of influence. God, help us run in it, that we might be people who know where we're going and who we are and why we're here, VIPs in the truest sense. For your glory is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.